Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Hello and welcome to The Word Podcast. I'm David Hepworth. Now you may note that most podcasts don't bother, well, what's the word, publishing round about this time of year. They prefer to top up their towns of the West Indies or visit Switzerland and do a little skiing and see their money. We're no different, obviously. Um, But before we went, we set Max Hall and his audio elves to work in putting together this very special podcast uh, for those of you who are rather missing the regular companionship over the festive season. What, what Matt has done is, is a best of what we call the horror, one of the most popular features in the podcast. The horror is not, as some have surmised, uh, an Israeli folk dance. It's actually an acronym. It stands for Hori Old Rock Anecdote. And it celebrates tales possibly burnished in the telling over the years by crackling log fires wherever rock folk gather. Possibly even it may have had its, um, I don't know, its brightness and its colour increased uh, to better please the listening audience, for which we make no apologies. We like to feel at the centre of this tale there is a greater truth, a truth about the artist involved, or a truth about the world in which they operate. And so for this particular festive compilation, I'd like to say a special thank you uh, to contributors Paul Denoye and Andrew Harrison. Uh, See what you make of this. If you want to find out anything more about the podcast, wordmagazine.co.uk. Happy New Year. The Word. At this point in the podcast, it has been a long-established tradition for two weeks now, this is the second week, uh, that uh, we, we like to have from um, the, uh, the rich background and history of popular music, uh, Andrew's... A tale. What? <laughs> Andrew's, Andrew's wincing here as okay. he tries to get himself ready. No, a kind of apocryphal tale of, uh, of a rock and roll legend. Right and, there. And, uh, and over to Andrew. Okay, well, this didn't happen to me, but to somebody kind of a bit like me. 
Everybody knows what a really friendly, nice guy Van Morrison is, don't they? He's, he's a license of the party. Yeah, they, he's, he's a charmer. They, they all love him. Can I just, but, can I just interrupt you? <laughs> yes, <laughs> a sentence into the anecdote. Off yes. you go. Go on, then. It's all about tangents, Andrew. Yeah. Um, you, we were, had an idea for a Van Morrison cover recently, didn't you? What was, what was it, your idea? It was, it was Smile. Was it the lighter side? Was it the lighter side? Smile, the lighter side of Morrison. <laughs> with a picture of this rictus grin on the face of the old uh, man himself. Anyway, so Van Morrison, much loved by his band. And, turn and that so, frown upside down. Absolutely, yeah. Turn that entire head upside down. <laughs> so Van Morrison, he runs a tight ship, apparently. He runs a very tight ship. His musicians must be there, ready to go at uh, half past eight in the morning or something in the rehearsal space yeah, with, yeah, with right. instruments strapped on all stood there virtually to attention ready to kick off yeah. for when Van comes in and starts going on about gnomes and elves and the kelp you know the kelp yeah, and the salt and yates and, and, yes. and you Puddings, know molly blooms on the pants windows, yeah. all that carry on yeah is he but, there himself Andrew no he's not he doesn't, no. Up to, he doesn't turn up till ten o'clock <laughs> so they're stood there for an hour and a half and do you know what he does at ten o'clock Go he goes off with the paper for a bit of a think in a little room and then comes back and bounds on stage and goes, oh, it was only a hundred years ago, but whatever. I can't <laughs> yeah, do Van Morrison. Right, yeah. So anyway, um, in uh, after months of this, uh, the band get a little bit restive and they have obviously got to find ways of amusing themselves. Uh, of course, Van's temper being no- notoriously foul, uh, they, 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 they have to get a bit inventive with this. So one of them decided that a way to, uh, one day, a way to pass the hour and a half would be to go over to the head, the, um, the pouch on them, on Van's microphone stand and pick up one of his gob irons, pick up his he harmonica. He has a bag full of harmonicas. He has a bag full of harmonicas. And they two disappeared off into a small room and there's no nice way of saying this, passed the harmonica through their anal cleft, uh, several times back and forth. With a good old saw, yes, with a good old sawing motion, and then returned it to the to the pouch. And then they all just stood there waiting for Van to turn up. <laughs> in he comes and goes, "Come on, then, what are we going to do now? Let's do what's a Van Morrison song? Let's well, I mean, Moondance. Let's do, do, it. do yeah, something with the Harmonica. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's do Moondance. Let's do Gloria. Kick it. So, yeah, let's do Gloria. What the people want to hear is your fantastic harmonica. Yeah, play. come on, yeah. then. Yeah, go, 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 pick up the one on the left. Yeah, the nice chrome one. We're doing it, E, Van. We're doing it, E. Yeah, and he's, so, uh, Van, <laughs> Van's popping away through the soiled gob iron. Uh, <laughs> and apparently this went on for months and, and, um, I don't, I don't know if it's even stopped now. They might still be doing it's it. They might still be doing it. So, so listeners, if you, next time you go to a Van Morrison concert and, you know. And you, he offers you the mic, the, the <laughs> harmonica, decline with thanks. As you watch him going through the bag, you know, it'll yeah. give a certain piquancy to your experience. Because Van won't know about this, you see. I don't think. Do you? Unless you subscribe to the word podcast, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> so, Van, we're, we're looking, out there. Forward, looking forward to hearing from you. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, your legal representative. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. uk. Any feedback, any suggestions, anything you want to throw into the mix, podcasts at podcast at wordmagazine.co.uk. <laughs> Stop giggling. Sawing motion. This is really funny. (laughs) 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 Anal clap. Three more from them. Tonight in session, anal clap. Let's start the recording. (laughs) The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. So anyway, at this point in the in, in the program, uh, program podcast, whatever, uh, in response to massive public demand, 
um, people have been in touch via fax, email, text, cleft stick, absolutely everything, and saying, can you get Mark Ellen oh, God. to tell the story? <laughs> I couldn't see where this was going, actually. <laughs> to to no. tell the story of Elton John's birthday party. Oh, right, okay, okay. Allegedly. Well, if I can remember it, allegedly. I've used the word and it's allegedly time for the hoary old rock, rock yeah. anecdote. Yeah. Over to you, Mark. Uh, at this point, really, I, I should be, uh, it's like the, you know, the fireside speech, I, sh- I should be throwing a kind of log on a fire here, don't you think? Absolutely. The sound of a purring cat, maybe crumpets cooking. <laughs> a crackling log. I'll just do that. <laughs> anyway, I'll just do that. No, David asked me about this, I don't know, I've forgotten all about it, but you know when you, you hear those stories... In, in, in rock and roll that, that may be true. And I think people's desire for them to be true is so great that any any attempts to kind of refute them just eventually just melt away. They're just plain wrong. They're Come plain on. wrong. And Elton John has, I think, in, in the past, had this story told him and has not denied it, David. Because El- yeah, why not? Because <laughs> it's just such a great El- Elton is bright enough not to deny yeah. this one, isn't it? It's like, it's like Keith and his dad's ashes. Do you know, let's just keep it all going. But actually, I like to think this is true because in the 1970s, um, you know, when rock and roll clearly had a lot of uh, money in its back pocket and uh, was operated mostly by people with huge stately homes, like Blanding's Castle, somewhere in the southern counties. Uh, at one of these things, El- probably one of Elton's houses, Elton held a dinner party, supposedly, right? Birthday party. It was a birthday party. It was a birthday party. And uh, it was mid-afternoon, and, uh, you know, everyone was uh, dining on various courses, and attractive waiters were uh, topping up their balloon glasses of fine Napoleon brandy. Please note, waiters. <laughs> waiters, right, yeah. And Elton had, promised, theme may Elton be had allegedly promised entertainment. After that, which they, they, they imagined that the Paul Merton du jour would probably get up and tell a few hilarious anecdotes, possibly hoping not. But no, the vast velvet drapes were pulled aside and the French they, windows opened. They, they, op- they opened. Can I make the sound of yeah. the opening? It's gone. Yeah, go on, like they, somebody pressed a button under the table. <laughs> it's right. James Bond, this. Elton kind of tapped his glass. That's right. That's for attention. Pressed a button, hidden under the table, and they went... Do you remember that fantastic uh, film about rock and roll? Was it called Strange Fruit? You know the one I've never with, seen that with one. Billy Connolly in it. But yeah. anyway, Bill Nye plays this rock star who's he's brilliant. He gets all his remote controls mixed up. He's trying to open the curtains. He's got a rock star's mansion, and it just turns on ITV. He's <laughs> <laughs> really, really pissed off. Anyway, so Elton's curtains uh, purr gently, almost soundlessly apart, and everybody purr. turns their attention. everybody turns around, and the the, uh, the flunkies throw open the, the French windows to to the wonderful vista, which I would imagine probably was a rolling lawn. But it was dark at this point. Though. It was in, I don't think it because was. He pressed, <laughs> he pressed another button. Was it tired anyway? He pressed another button. I think we'd defeat my story if it was tired. To illuminate the lawn. Oh, right, well, you got let's say it's okay. let's say it's all right. It's okay. Illuminate the lawn. Mercifully, it was also a, a cloudless sky and full moon. Because what they saw was, you know, in the distance, obviously. They heard. They heard. They heard. They heard. Well, McAllister, the gardener, was just putting the final touches to a bit of trimming of a herbaceous. Well, I said, McAllister, you won't enjoy what's going to come now, old boy. Go back home to the missus and have your supper. Your supper's waiting. Anyway, Scroton, Scroton, the which is also there actually digging up some parsnips they say scrotum leave it just leave it mate go home (laughs) it's the same we're having the after dinner entertainment at which point he broke into a run and (laughs) showed a clean pair of heels anyway in the distance they heard another sound which was uh, even above the sound of the the, the purring curtains my god how extraordinary can you hear that sound can you hear that 
<laughs> outside the side of an aeroplane going by our Islington loft, our Islington era. It was indeed the sound of an aeroplane. That's the criticism. A light aeroplane. A light aircraft. They looked up, and uh, let's say some super troopers now have been beamed up yes. into the sky. Ooh. And woo, that's the sound of the super troopers. And out of the aeroplane come these small dots. They're like moments. flowers. They're, They're like little flowers. flowers. They're like flowers. Nobody has a clue what they are, and it's fairly obvious eventually that they are indeed parachutes blossoming into life, one after another. But dangling from the end of the parachutes appear to be individuals wearing absolutely no clothes. <laughs> and as they get nearer, those individuals are undeniably male. <laughs> <laughs> one by one they tumble gracefully, prettily to the, to the tundra, the soft tundra that uh, McAllister has only recently been watering, and, uh, and have only just got time to, <laughs> to take off the leather harnesses from their tundra. Oh, the and harness. The harnesses. And, uh, and skip prettily into the rhododendron bushes, pursued by elder dinner guests. <laughs> Now, I know what you're going to ask me. Is it, I think it probably, let's say it is, Dave, because that's a story I've heard a billion times. Elton, I interviewed Elton myself in a, fabulously in the, in, the, in the 13th floor suite of the Caesars, Caesars Palace in Las Vegas two years ago. I didn't put that story to him, but various <laughs> others. And I don't think he would have denied him, because Elton's got more sense than to try and pretend that he didn't live a fabulously exotic and highly decadent and extremely naughty life. And didn't finish most uh, dinners, to be honest, with a load of uh, attractive young models parachuted into his garden and being pursued energetically by some, by some enthusiastic homosexuals. <laughs> and I think mean, I mean, I've thoroughly approved the whole thing. It's El- first rate. El- God bless the old boy. God bless your mom. <laughs> a magazine, a website, a podcast, the word. So at this point in the program, it's traditional to have the horror, uh, which is the, uh, the hoary old oh, yeah. rock anecdote. And, uh, have you got one, Rob? I don't know whether I've really got any hoary old rock anecdotes, being a mere 38. So, <laughs> sort of, uh, so the pentagon must have crossed you a path at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the pentagon have crossed. I could tell the title, no. Uh, <laughs> oh, that sounds like it's a good too, one. It's all, too, it's all too recent history. Dave, you've got one up your sleeve, I can surely. Okay. <laughs> you oh, go on, then. Oh, go on. So there was Chuck Berry and Bob Marley and uh, <laughs> Yeah, well those were very good stories, so you yeah. have to be better than that. Um, okay. This is um genuine true story happened to me in uh, back in the year nineteen seventy six. Oh I know this story. Uh, <laughs> when I was working I for Berserkly <laughs> Records mm. as a for my sins, a, a radio and T V plugger. Not a career I recommend to mm. anybody. But one of the things we had to do for a while was we had to do the plugging for a fellow independent label, Stiff, who were very busy at the time because they'd just released the first single by their hot new signing, Elvis Costello. Yes, excellent. And he was hotter than a hot thing. Mm. He, he really was. You know, and these are in the days when you know the enemy got on to things like that. And mm. And London was a complete hothouse and was the centre of world music. Yeah. And, and so it fell to me to deliver Elvis, who was infallibly charming, uh, to, you know, radio interviews and things of this nature. And uh, the only transportation we had at our disposal was my wife's Morris Thousand, which, in, you know, even at the time must have been about 14 years old. Was that a 4 by 4 <laughs> 
I didn't think so. I think it used to be called a half-timbered car. <laughs> oh, do you remember? It looks like a Tudor house. Oh, no, no. And it, did, it didn't have flashes on the back. It had <laughs> indicators that flashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like donkey's ears. Yeah. That's absolutely right. Anyway, the big thing about <laughs> Elvis was that they had put a complete ban on any background about where he had come from. You know, he was Declan McManus, oh, but yeah. nobody oh, knew yeah. this. Yeah. They'd called him Elvis Costello, which is the most audacious mm. thing to do. Mm. And the only thing anybody knew about him was that he once worked for Elizabeth Arden, That's the, right. you know, the perfume yeah. company. But there was no idea that he'd been a computer analyst or something. The, the, well, there was no idea that he had any kind of musical background. There was certainly no family background. There was none of that stuff. Complete blackout on it. So... I am one day driving Elvis to a radio session at Capital Radio. And I'm going down the Euston Road, me and Elvis in, in my wife's Morris Thousand. And a lot of traffic. And we are stuck outside Madame Tussauds. Thinking, are we going to get this radio thing on time? And Elvis and I happen to be talking about the days before Radio 1. Uh, when they hardly ever played any records on the radio and a lot of the music was dance band yeah, shows yeah, that yeah. used to be on at lunchtime where dance band singers would cover the hits of the time and I said God I remember those things those people used to be terrible they were just <laughs> an embarrassment <laughs> uh -oh. and I don't know what made me do this don't but go there, Dave. somewhere <laughs> yeah. somewhere from the dark recesses of my jumbled memory it, is, it staggers me to this day, day <laughs> that I did uh -oh. this I said there was one in particular <laughs> I said what was his name Ross McManus. <laughs> I said, I remember once seeing this pillar <laughs> appeared on television in an enemy poll winners concert wearing a frilly shirt playing the bongos and trying to sing Get Off My Cloud by He's, the Rolling Stones. And Elvis says, you can just drop me off here. I'll walk the rest of the way. I must have guessed by that. So but, anyway, yeah. Elvis is just... <laughs> I've gone into full ramp mode and... And Elvis, yeah, started slightly quieter, yeah. and yeah, mm, okay. And anyway, the traffic moved on, we got to Capital Radio, we went and did his session, all that, carried on, I took him back to Stiff Records, no, no problem. Following day, I go to Liverpool, and there in Liverpool at BBC Radio Merseyside, or BBC Radio Liverpool, or whatever they called in that day, there was a venerable DJ called Billy Butler, who's still there today, and used to be the DJ at the Cavern, and knows everybody mm. in Liverpool. Old school, lovely guy. And he said to me, I've been playing that record by that Elvis Costello. I said, oh, yeah, good. He said, yeah, I got a letter from his dad. And I <laughs> leaned forward. <laughs> I leaned forward and think, ooh, I'm about to get a bit of, you know, I've got a bit of a lean yeah, here. Yeah, in Abbott and Costello. Who, yeah. <laughs> who Elvis's dad was. And he said, yeah, he used to sing with Joe Loss. And I, I just, my jaw kind of stopped. And then he goes, Heart yeah. in boots. His name, name was Ross McManus. <laughs> I stood there. Shoot self. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I nearly, you know, if 
I would have lain on the floor and gone into the fetal position if, you know, but, if but it hadn't no, looked appallingly unprofessional. But no matter, it haunted me for about a week afterwards. No, but no matter how miserable Elvis would have been feeling on a personal level about this uh, appalling indignity to his old pie, he must have been thrilled that his campaign of secrecy was so watertight. <laughs> yes, he was thinking, it's going brilliant. Yeah. They have no idea that I'm It's the risk you run, isn't yeah, it? it? If yeah. you choose to uh, conceal yeah. absolutely everything there is to know That's about your, your background, you run the risk that some clown... It's going to pluck that yeah. from out of the millions of stupid pop factoids that yeah. I know. I took, I went <laughs> along the entire shelf, yeah. went past all the harmless ones. Penny Lane, no, not him. Tony Christie, no, not him. Vince, no, no. Oh, I know, Ross McManus. I'll pick You're probably up. just showing off about your, your, the, how obscure this guy was. You know, and I kind of was. I kind of was. And uh, he must have thought. Well, he must have thought I'd done it deliberately. Yeah, he must have done it. Probably still does, actually, though. I have to but ask. I have to ask. I have you, you must have bumped into him since. Oh, I've bumped into him on many occasions. And is it, is it, it's never put a brave face on it. And I, think it's, I think it's best left... Rushed under the carpet. Yeah. I think it's best left. I meet him, you know, very occasionally. You meet him professionally. He's a terribly nice chap. And, uh, and I, I often... I don't know if I'm convincing myself of this, but we look at each other and... And I know that he knows, and he knows that I know that he knows. You know what I mean? But it has to be a unique occurrence. So anyway, that that's, my, uh, that's my that's my Elvis Costello. That's good. Got it off my chest to feel better now. Yeah. I leave the room like Tony Soprano leaving his psychotherapy. As embarrassing anecdotes go, though, I just reminds me a very of a very quick one. When about 1989, I was working in a record shop, and I was a very big fan of the uh, the pop group Slow Dive. And Rachel I, from well, Rachel from Soda was part of the band that I liked. Yeah, and uh, I, I, they had a new album coming out, and I spent about a week phoning Creation, going, "Look, could they come down to the shop and do a signing?" And they were like, "Oh no, slow down! I'll never do something like that. Oh, never in a million years. They're far too, you know. Oh, they don't do anything like that." And I said, "Look, please, no, no, no. look, we're going to sell hundreds, and please, and come down." And finally, they said, "Yes, okay. Look, they'll come down on you know Wednesday, the thirteenth of June." Like, Brilliant. So they're coming down, and uh, I'm doing the posters, doing them all up, putting everything, got there, bring them all out, on. and then I leave, I leave a couple of days before, I can't, because I'm going to be on holiday, so I'm going to actually miss it, but I've got someone there, a friend of mine is going to be taking pictures and getting me one signed, all that kind of thing, I can't avoid this holiday. So I go there, and then I come back, and there's about ten really angry messages from creation for me, and I think, what's going on here? And I put these massive posters up in the window with the wrong date on. So, no. the slow dive turn up, no. it's like spinal tap, there's not a soul in there. Kick this they have spent, <laughs> they have spent weeks saying they won't do it, not a soul turns up. The next day, 300 kids that turn up. No man! 14 year old girls. So, yeah, I was persona non grata for a long time. So, do you still, again, do you get in the fetal position over the duvet once every few years when you recall the. Uh, I do, although I met uh, the lovely Neil Halstead. Uh, a couple of times and he hasn't like Elvis Costello he's been too big too big a star <laughs> to bring it up see the biggest star like Neil Halstead the biggest stars they don't bring it up like, <laughs> they, can know, they can afford to be they can afford to be they've risen above it they've risen above it yeah. <laughs> the word we just got time for the horror <laughs> the hoary <laughs> old rock <laughs> And, uh, and this week, it's uh, it's over to you, Mark. Can I remember this? You want me to do 
Yeah, I can't tell you it is. I can't tell you it is. This is the one that happened to you at a, at a, at a, a literary at a, dinner. At a dinner. A literary dinner about two years ago. Orange, I think it was, sponsored a, a literary prize. And uh, a mate of mine who runs the Hay Festival was organising a, a literary dinner. Uh, in in honour of Hanif Karishi, who had a new book out. And for some, God alone knows why, for some reason they asked me, which is very nice. They're actually Word magazine, they're very, very thick with us. So I turn up on this thing, and there's all sorts of people there, of high-ranking literary types, and I you know, get down the table, and I've got opposite me, tremendous chap, who is the scriptwriter for the James Bond films, called Robert Wade. Very, very uh, amusing character. And next to me I have, ominously, a, an empty chair. I have no idea who's going to occupy this. And I'm, I'm absolutely Hank Marvel. And I'm just thinking, I'm just, be, I can eat a horse. You always uh, are. Scab your horse between two bread vans. Bread its horns off, slap it on the plate. No, I just said that. You know, do all your food jokes. No, the food jokes. Go on, do food jokes. We used to have this guy who worked to smash it. It's called Rod Sob. What are we talking about, Rod? Rod Sob. Rod Sob. It was the advertising guy at Rod Sob. And this, I'm sorry if there's any vegetarians listening, but this still amuses me. And Rob used to go to the restaurant with Rod, do you remember? He always used to order a rare steak so he could do his gag. I said, how do you like your steak, sir? Instead of saying rare, he'd say, just break its horns off, wipe its arse, just slap it on the plate. <laughs> And when the steak arrived, not three minutes later, he would lean forward in a kind of mock comic way. Do you remember his, his eyebrows would shoot together in consternation and say, Do I hear lowing? <laughs> He'd say, Oh dear, oh dear, Henry, uh, a good vet could have that on his feet in ten minutes. <laughs> but anyway, oh. but anyway, so I'm at this thing and I'm absolutely starving. I look down at the thing and I thought, I feel very un PC. I'm going to order the pate de foie gras. I don't care after that, I'm going to have a rare steak. I'm sorry again, vegetarians listening, that's what I went for. Do you think we should so, tell, say for the benefit of those people who are not into the minutiae of food, what is involved in pate de foie gras? Pate de foie gras, I'll come on to that in a oh, moment. Oh, okay, so sorry. I'll come on to right, that, because it, uh, yeah, it, it's the, the manufacturing methods have been questioned for centuries, you know. <laughs> but I certainly wasn't questioning it this particular night, because I was Hank Marvin. Anyway, so, at this point, I've no idea who's going to sit next to me. A little tiny bowl. Oh, who will it be? A little tiny bowl, super <laughs> And I'm a bit nervous about something. It's probably going to be some author whose novel I haven't read and who won't have read my magazine and we're going to have to kind of stumble through the whole thing. Anyway, doors, double doors, bang open and beating across the room with the old uh, fringe over her. I can't see her eyes. Is Chrissy Hine. Hey! And I look around. Where's she going to sit, Mark? Where's she going to sit? Beads of perspiration break out of my brow. I think she can't sit next to me because I just ordered that. And of course, there's only one seat. Chrissy Hines comes down, flags herself down. Hi, how are you doing? You know, I know her and I've interviewed her. We get on fine. First thing she looks at this soup. Has this got meat in it? <laughs> she doesn't say hello to anybody. She looks at a little tiny bowl of soup. And says, I said, you know, Chrissy, I've actually got no idea at all. I said, find out. So I said... You find out? Yeah, find out. So I go, OK. Did you have your waiter outfit on at the time? No, I, so, I, so I go, sorry. Well, you know, I, so I flag down the head waiter and say, sorry to bother you. Um, Chrissy, you're not a big fan of... Um, meat products of, of any kind at all. <laughs> That's putting can it you possibly, I've tried a semaphore, can you change my order, but I can't quite get it across. Yeah. I said, is there any, you know, chicken sauce? So a little, little bit of chicken sauce. So I said, Chrissy, and she pushes this bowl away as if it was radioactive. <laughs> She's, you know, literally, she stiffens. I thought, I'm, I'm in big, pro big trouble now. That's her reaction to a tiny bit of chicken stock. Let's not forget that pâté de foie gras is produced by the over-distended livers of, uh, of slightly overfed geese. And at this point, I, I'm starting to imagine how could this possibly get worse? Apart from a small flotilla of geese themselves parading yeah. out of the kitchen with a big sign saying, my uncle and my aunt have been needlessly murdered in order to provide yeah, a starter that for guy. that guy. Over this guy. So anyway, Chrissy Hyde is talking Goose to a very nice guy from Esquire magazine. So I'm, she, she's distracted. I've got about 
a two minute window. <laughs> no, eat it really two minutes. Minute. <laughs> Dude hasn't arrived. Yes, <laughs> yeah, stuff it in my pocket. You know, set fire, pour it into a pot plant. I've got two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> two minutes. Pop up dies. What's that? <laughs> right, right, yeah. So opposite me is this terrific guy, Robert Wade, who's a massively likable fellow and a bit of a bit of a bit of a player. He's got a, a, a roll neck sweater on, he's got a, and he's got a, a, a you know a, a high tar cigarette on the go, as you might imagine. I said, Robert, quickly, you've got to help me out. Bad things happen. He said, Tell me all, dear boy, what's up? Green hind, uh, I can't even speak. I'm having such a state. I've ordered the like and worse after that fucking great ribeye steak. <laughs> bleeding. Do I hear that? Don't start that. We've got time for that. We've got problems here. Chris and I said next to me, what you said? He said to me, he said literally his words were, old boy, leave it to me. And I sat back. I just raised my glass of red wine. I thought, I don't know what he's going to do, but this guy is literally going to save the day. He's come charging in on a white horse. Everything's going to be fine. Sure enough, the waiter comes out <laughs> two minutes later and he's got a tray. And I can see at the front, an enormous, great, steaming, pyramidic mound of, of, of pate de foie gras. I'm thinking, oh God, Robert, weave your magic, do your thing. And he goes, is that the pate de foie gras? I think you'll find it's for our gentleman <laughs> just here. Oh God. And yes, he does. Pointing oh, at me, standing up and pointing at me. So it slapped down in front of me, at which point Chrissy Hyde simply takes one look at this, spins, turns her back to me, doesn't address another word to me all evening. <laughs> I'm just to say. Yeah. So at that point... So I it wasn't all bad then. It was... <laughs> Oh, oh no! But can you imagine the agony? Oh, can you imagine that empty chair? Who could possibly fill it? Who would be the worst person? Oh, she. This is a woman. Yeah. This is a woman. Much as I, I have actually, to say, I absolutely love the girl and I love her music and all that stuff. But this is a woman who I had interviewed not a month beforehand and told me how she had chained herself to a radiator in a prison, demonstrating against the fur trade. I yeah. mean, she felt quite strongly about it, though. <laughs> yeah, she, she once said, "You should be a prostitute before you're a butcher." Really? I was very annoyed about well, that. Well, you, you coming from a, a legendary family oh. of uh, uh, Puddle and Butchers would have taken that very badly. Where, she, where does she stand on litter? That's what we want to know. Oh, yeah, she probably thinks it's great. Chrissy, forget all that. Do, do our litter song. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. It's traditional at this point Excellent. of the podcast. To have the horror, we're now starting to get requests for horror. It's actually like I've had various people emailing wanting to, wanting to hear the story of you and uh, and uh, Julian Cope and uh, and the last time you took drugs. <laughs> but you're obviously gonna, you're obviously going to have to go well, away. Really put me on the spot. Eh? I'll have to. No, you're going to work, work that one Work that one first. Work that one for a future episode. But meanwhile, I'll take advantage of Paul's presence here uh, to tap into his rich scene. Of, uh, of rock and roll memories. Paul, over to you. Right, well, I was just looking at the, uh, the, the current um, uh, page one fella of uh, the work I was He doesn't do many interviews, and I always read them very carefully because I've done quite a few with him, and I, 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 I sympathise utterly with every interviewer that is, is sent his way. You know, he's described as being the Gallipoli beach of the. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I thought um, uh, Barry, uh, Barry Donnelly, did, it, did it for us uh, this month. Did a you know did a tremendous job. Barry being a Belfast boy and so on, he obviously had that in there. So he knows about conflict and tension. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. No, he was ready for it. But as you say, he can be a cold old. He can, he can, he can be tricky. And was, he was going through one of his tricky phases, one of his several decade-long tricky phases. <laughs> yeah. in, um, in, 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 I guess it was the eighties, was it? It was, it was yeah, interesting. Yeah. 
It was. You, Sorry, yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess it was you, Mark, who, who put in for uh, the, the, the fan interview, and, and the reply came back through various um, um, uh, intermediaries. It's manager of that particular week. Yeah. Oh, it's manager of, yeah. of that week. The so, uh, well, the van, will, van will do an interview, but he's fed up talking to rock journalists, and um, he wants to be ta- he wants to be interviewed by uh, um, one of his own uh, heroes. And um, so I think you asked him to suggest a few yeah, names. Yeah, that's right. And um, he came back with uh, Spike Milligan, didn't he? He did. So um, I said, we can't get you Roy Hattersley. But it's a nice one. So, uh, so this is all set up. And I have to go, I have, so I, have to, I meet Van in, um, in, uh, in a hotel in Kensington. Uh, and um, no, I meet his manager. He takes us around to Van's house. We Holland Park, probably. Uh, Holland Park, yeah, that's right. The Hermes of Holland, Holland Park. Holland Park. Park. Yeah, he, to give him his full title, as he knows. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we drive down to uh, Spike's house, which is in it's it's in the countryside near Rye. Is that Sussex? Yeah, Sussex, yeah. Sussex isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so a very nice drive down there. It would be if you didn't have Van Morrison well, sitting in the back seat. <laughs> And he just, it was, on the, it was the early days of mobile phones, he had one of the first mobile phones, you know, the, the actual brick-sized yeah. mobile yeah. phones. And he's on the phone in the back, on the back seat, permanently scolding his record company over the... Yeah, barking. Very shortcomings. And this, this goes all the way down to, way down to, uh, to uh, Rye, really nice old market town on a hill, Rye, as I subsequently discovered. Well, I still tremble when I go there because I remember going through with Van Morrison. There's a, little, uh, there's a railway just skirting the edge of the hill and there's an old-fashioned level crossing. And um, so the manager has to stop at the level crossing to let a train pass the way you do and Van is outraged by this. Yeah. I think he's getting edgy now because he's getting nervous about meeting Spike. What, would he expect the train to pull up and allow Van to drive don't know whether he way across the track? Van crossing. Yeah, Van crossing. Van reversing. <laughs> Crusty old rock Well, he just starts, he just starts giving, giving hell to his manager. He must have expected the manager to be some sort of evil, can evil stunt, you know. Yeah. <laughs> to be set up in front of any level crossing on the journey. Yeah. Zoom over them. So he's furious. He gets out of the car and stomps off. Or stomps. You know, Van doesn't sort of walk here. He stomps or stomps or something. Yeah. And he goes off. And, uh, of course, once he's gone up the car and up the road, the level crossing opens. So the manager has to drive across, but there's a yeah. traffic problem. Has to go across and find somewhere to park on the far side of the railway. And of course, Van is now nowhere to be seen. <laughs> heading, so the, the manager has to, has, to, has to get out of the car. Of course, the level crossing goes down again. Now, and Van's the other side. And there's Van on the other Van's side. Furious <laughs> again. <laughs> <laughs> Gross display of managerial incompetence. <laughs> so, so another train goes past. So we have to do it. Van gets back into the car. We go, we go final, the final uh, leg to um, Spike Milligan's house. Very nice house that uh, the late Spike had. And Spike uh, with his, uh, his wife. And he's very charming. And, You're very charming. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't a particular goon fan. I never really found Spike. I just didn't get it. I never really found Spike Milligan funny. But in person, he was really hilarious. Just in, in a natural conversation. Yeah. Not, doing, not doing silly voices or anything. Just, in a, just to talk to. Yeah. He was really funny and um, very interesting, very polite, very hospitable, extremely courteous. Van Morrison was none of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we have an, an, an awkward conversation. Spike to uh, break the ice produces from nowhere a penis shaped plastic <laughs> nose. Yeah. Always breaks know, the ice at parties. It does. It, yeah. it does. Um, I can even stir the ice with the matters. Yeah. <laughs> 
And then he goes romping off around the lawn, all in an effort to sort of loosen Van up. Uh, all to know. Oh, really? Yes, yes, it's yes. yes we all really strapped on the front exactly, of his face. Exactly, exactly, for want of a better term. Yes. So, uh, Trying to cheer up the old Comanche. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, so he comes in again, and uh, it doesn't seem to too much. Van gets out his big brick of, brick of a mobile phone again. He decides he's got to go into the garden himself now to tell off the record company again. <laughs> And um, so he goes out, he, so he's off, he stomps off into the garden, and Spike takes off the old penis-shaped um, uh, false nose and slumps into a chair, a defeated man. <laughs> Broken. And, and he turns around to me and says, that Van Morrison, you know, he's a really strange bloke. Brussie, <laughs> 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 you, 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 know, you think of that, that Spike has volunteered to have this guy at his house. Yes. He's not doing this, he's not getting paid. No. Is yes. he? Out of the kindness, kindness of his heart, he's not saying, my hero is Van Morrison. One of nature's Van Morrison is saying, yeah, I really want to meet, my lifelong ambition is to meet Spike Billigan. When he gets there, as you say, just radiates the cops. Andrew Harrison, in the word office, had a brilliant expression the other day for people he feels like that. He calls them negatively charged. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Dear old that. So, well, that's the final accolade, isn't it? Being described as a funny sort by Spike Milligan. That's always the experts, experts, it is. isn't it, really? But it's only rock and roll. It's, it's the way it works. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com